Well, welcome to part five of this series called God and Your Bod. I'm up here uh, a little bit earlier than I normally am, so we might get out of here and beat the Baptists so, uh, on the border. Uh, we'll see. Um, but uh, before we wrap this up, I want to just draw your attention one more time. I won't be here next week, so I want to draw your attention to a series we're starting in two weeks um, called Let's Talk. This series is a series all about mental health. Um, we're actually joining with a couple other churches here in town um, to kind of uh, rally the troops, all skate, um, use it as hopefully um, an instrument in our community for good, for hope, for healing. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's a series where we don't want to just, it, we don't want to just stop here on Sunday mornings. We actually want it to continue to, 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 to marinate throughout the rest of the week. It's called Let's Talk. So we want to talk about this as a church because uh, you are either dealing with or have dealt with or will deal with or know somebody who is dealing with issues of mental health. Um, and we just want to kind of spawn, uh, just bring a big old spotlight on it for, for a few weeks um, and talk about it here, talk about it in our small groups. Um, and we are looking for individuals who may want to, maybe you're already in a small group, but maybe you want to start a small group for this series for just this four weeks. You've got friends, you've got family, maybe you've got neighbors or coworkers that they may never show up uh, to a service on Sunday morning here, but they might they might show up to an invitation that you make to them to come and sit around your living room or your kitchen table um, to talk about this. Uh, we're going to create the content, the small group curriculum, um, and you just got to invite people and host them. Um, and if you're interested in that one bit, if you got questions about that, if you want to talk about that a little bit, right after service today, uh, Pastor Josh is going to be up here in the front. He'll just do a little 10-minute huddle to explain what that looks like, give you the resources, and let, then let you go at it um, if you're interested in that, okay? But again, that starts in two weeks. This is your last opportunity to kind of talk through this with him. Uh, so take advantage of that if you want to, okay? Um, so uh, God and your bod. This series has been all about answering the question, how do I honor God with my body, right? And we've said that there's kind of two extremes. There's the body worshipers. There's the body neglectors. We want to go in those extreme um, directions. We want to ask the question, how do I honor God with my body? Because he created it. It's created by him, for him, in order to honor him. And so as we've looked at scripture, we've kind of gotten real practical. What does it look like for us to honor him with our eyes and with our ears? Uh, what does it look like for us to honor him with our feet, uh, we could talk about how do we honor him with our heart. Scripture talks about the heart. Uh, we could talk a lot about how we honor him with our mouth. We've actually done an entire series on that. Um, but today, to wrap it up, I want to talk about how we honor God with our hands. What does it look like to honor God with our hands? And this is, this is brand new to me. I've never, never studied this before. Um, I've never taught on this before, so this is brand new to me. But as I, as I prepared this week, um, there are a couple things that just kind of jumped out at me um, that I want to use to kind of get us into this. And, and the first one is this. In the Old and the New Testament, whenever it references hands, whenever it references the work of someone's hands, it's talking about that in the same way that you and I talk about it. It's, it's, it's pretty much the exact same. It's talking about a person's power or authority or reputation. It represents all that a person brings with them, okay? So a, a couple examples. When we say things like, give me a hand, what are we asking? 
We're asking somebody else to use their power, their strength, their ability, their talent to help us with something. Um, Or uh, the decision is in your hands. You've used that phrase before. That means that the other person has the power. The other person has the the ability or the strength or the influence to make um, the decision. I'm handing this off to you. I'm putting this under your power. I'm putting this under your control, your authority. Um, Maybe your kids say this to each other a lot. If I ever get my hands on you, what does that mean? I want to exert my power over you. I want to bring my strength to bear on your neck, right? Um, He has the upper hand. She has the upper hand. That means that they have more ability. They have more strength. They have more power. Um, It's out of my hands. That means I have no control over it. Have no ability to, to influence. Even like even when we shake hands, like have you ever done a deal or or sold something or bought something and you shake hands? What is that doing? That's combining two people's influence, two people's power, two people's control together and saying, I'm bringing this to this relationship. I'm bringing this to this deal. And, and you see the exact same thing in scripture. It's the same idea. Just a few examples. Pharaoh commanded that no one would lift a hand without Joseph's permission. That means that, that Joseph didn't put his approval or authority behind something. They couldn't do it. Uh, Moses rescued Israel from the hand of Pharaoh. Does that mean that Pharaoh had his hand on all of the Israelites? No. It means it rescued him from Pharaoh's power, control, authority. Uh, God stretched out his hand and smote the Egyptians. There's a good King James Version word for you. Smote them, Right. Um, you see this idea of God stretching out his hand all throughout, the New, all, all throughout the Old Testament. And when he does that, something always happens. There's always energy. There's always power. There's always authority uh, behind it. Or you see, um, you see God redeemed his people with a mighty hand. You see that in the Old Testament as well. He used his power, his authority his, to save, to redeem. Um, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. You don't want to be on the other side of that. You don't want to be somewhere where God's hand is against you. It's, it's, it's the wrong side of the equation to be on, and that's where the Philistines found themselves. Uh, David told Goliath that God would deliver him into his hands, meaning God would place Goliath under David's Authority. Uh, the psalmist, you see this all the time in Psalms. It says the heavens and are the works of God's hands. That when you look at creation, it was God's power, it was God's authority, it was God's influence and control, his word that actually created that. And then you get to the New Testament. Jesus predicted that he would suffer at the hands of the religious leaders. He would suffer under their authority because they were the ones with authority in Israel. Um, He predicted that one day he would be seated at the right hand of God. That's the place of authority. That's the place of power. Uh, We're told that Pilate washed his hands in Jesus's trial. What was that doing? He was saying, I got no responsibility in this anymore. I got no authority. It's all on you. So all throughout scripture, we see references to hands in the same way that we think about it today. It represents somebody's power, somebody's influence, somebody's authority, resources, standing in the community. So when we ask the question, I think it's a, it's a great question. How do I honor Jesus with my hands? What are we asking? What are we saying? We're asking and we're saying, okay, how do I use everything that I am, everything that I bring to bear, 
my power, my strength, my ability, my talent, my gifts, my connections, all of that, how do I use that to honor him? So your education, your family, um, your ability to start a business, your ability to run a business, um, your organizational skills, your law degree, your medical degree, your teaching degree, your connections, your possessions, all of those are things that are in your hands. And, and you may not think you have very much because this is what we do. Huh, they got more in their hands than I got in mine. We compare ourselves to other people, but that's not what this is about. It's not about comparing. It's, and you may not have ever thought about it before, but you have something or some things in your hand. And the question I want us to ask today is how do you honor Jesus with it? How do you honor Jesus with it? That's, that's where we're going. Now, there are two things that make this really compelling to me. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit more about the first one than the second one. Um, but the first one is this, that your abilities, your skills, uh, your talents, your abilities, all those things that make you a force to be reckoned with, and you're a force to be reckoned with, all of those things are from God. If I read scripture correctly, all of those things are from God. They're actually gifts from God. And, and the pushback on this, especially in modern day America, the pushback is, yeah, well, I, get up, I get up at five o'clock every morning. I work hard. I plan well. I execute the plan. I am who I am because of who I've made myself to be. Or I've, I've always been well-read. I study hard. I earn my degree. And I am because who I am because of what I've accomplished. And and maybe you'd never say that out loud, but you think it? Just very, very carefully want to speak on God's behalf for just a moment and ask this, who gave you your mind? Like who, who created that, that self-discipline in you? Who placed you in that family? Who, who, who allowed you to be born in that family? Hey, come on. Who allowed you to be born in the United States of America? Right now, at this time in history. Go through the difficult things that you went through that created endurance and character and all of those things that, are, are, that, that, that you didn't have before. You're actually who you are as a result of those things that God has provided for you, the family he placed you in, the difficulty he allowed you to go through, the, the, the character that was built, the opportunity you were given simply by being born in this country. Like before we start taking all the credit for who we are, I think we, could, we should probably take a step back and think about, okay, who created those opportunities? Who gave me that mind, that discipline? Who allowed those things to happen? And how much, how much credit can I really take? for those things. And, and if we ever got that idea through our minds that we are who we are because of who God, what God has given us, it becomes so much easier. It becomes so much more natural to say, okay, everything in my hands is from him anyway, so I should probably figure out what he wants me to do with it. I should probably figure out how, how I leverage it for his purposes as opposed to mine. So there's a passage of scripture. If you want to follow along today, we're going to be in First Chronicles 29. That's in the Old Testament. Um, the context of this is so powerful. I wish we could spend more time on it, but I'm just going to do a real brief overview of it. Um, 
in the Old Testament, there was a time in the Old Testament where God made his presence known to the nation of Israel by living in a tent, okay? Some of you love to camp. This is where it comes from. You were made in the image of God, and he, was bo- he lived in a tent, so you love camping, right? So his presence was represented by the, the, the Ark of the Covenant, which is just a really elaborate box that was in a tent called the Tabernacle. And when the nation of Israel moves into the promised land, they start building cities and houses and a palace and an economy and a military. All these things start to develop. And God was still living in a box in a tent. And so one day, David, King David goes, you know what? All the surrounding nations have a temple to their God. And our God's living in a box in a tent. I think we should do something about that. And David decided... I'm going to build the biggest, most beautiful temple the world has ever seen for the one true living God. But God spoke to David and said, David, great idea, but I'm sorry. You've fought in too many battles. You've shed too much blood. I can't allow you to build my temple. And think about this. David is the king of Israel. These are the golden years of Israel. David is a billionaire before billionaires were cool. He's got all the resources that he could want and need. He could do anything he wanted. He could have said, I'm going to build it anyway. He could have said that. But instead, David does something unbelievable. David takes the work of his hands, all of his ability, all of his strength, all of his power, all of his resources, and he says, okay, if I can't build it, I'm going to spend the rest of my life raising the money for it, organizing the building of it, and I'm going to set it up so my son Solomon builds the temple. And it's exactly what David did. David spent the rest of his life, the work of his hands, doing that to build a temple that he would never be associated with. To this day, it's still known as Solomon's temple, not David's. And the people of Israel... They recognize this, that that David honestly wanted to honor God with the work of his hands, and they got behind it. They saw how committed he was. They got behind it, all of his talent, all of this, and and it just occurs to them, "This this isn't a king trying to make a name for himself. This is our king teaching us exactly how to live, how to go about using what he has in his hands to finance this unbelievable temple. And when people realized how committed David was to it, they became committed to it. And by the time David died, everything was in place for Solomon to step in and build this incredible temple, a temple David, think about this, David never saw. He never saw it. But in the midst of all that, David prayed this public prayer. And with that as the background, like David, he's, he's already the king, He's not somebody trying to make a name for himself. Like you ever have somebody pray this like unbelievable prayer like publicly? You're like, wow, they're really close to God. Like, wow, that was unbelievable. David didn't pray a prayer like that. He prays a prayer and, and, and this, is, this is what it sounds like. First Chronicles 29 verse 11. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. Now, this isn't something ancient kings would say publicly. Ancient kings would say, I am the greatness, the power, the glory, and the majesty, and the splendor. 
not David. David says, no, yours, Lord, are all those things for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Again, here's a guy, has everything he could ever want or need. He's got all kinds of money, all kinds of resources. He had, he had influence beyond anybody else in the world. And he recognizes everything in heaven and earth already has an owner. And it ain't me. Everything in heaven and earth is yours. He goes on, yours, Lord, is the kingdom. David recognized this isn't my kingdom. This isn't my palace. These aren't my people. This isn't my land. This isn't my nation. I didn't get here because of my great leadership skills. This kingdom of which I'm leading, it's actually God's. It belongs to him. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. That means all my resources, all my talent, all my leverage is king, all the favors owed to me, all the tributes owed to me, all the, the skill and passion in this kingdom, like all of that is below you. You're exalted over it. You're greater than all of it. And then here it is, verse 12. Wealth and honor come from you. I want us to say this out loud together, all right? And I want you to hear the words coming out of your mouth. Ready? Ready? Here we go. Wealth and honor come from you. Say it again. Wealth and honor come from you. If you're watching at home, say it with us. Wealth and honor come from you. If that one little thought got from here to here, like if we could wake up, if I could wake up every single day and recognize all of my wealth, individually and all of our wealth collectively, all my honor. You know what honor is? Honor is the list of all the things that people attribute to you because of what you've accomplished. Or maybe because of who you're related to. Some of you, people honor you because of your parents. Some of you, you get honor because of who you're related to. Some people honor you because you're smart. Some people honor you because you're good-looking. Some people honor you because you're well-connected. Some people honor you because of the business that you started or the deals you've done. All of us have a certain amount of honor. And David recognizes, as a man with great wealth and honor, it all originated with God. It comes from him. In other words, the reason I'm wealthy is because of God, to which, to which we want to say, no, no, David, you're wealthy because you're the king. You're, you're the king. You're wealthy because of that, to which David could have said, you know why I'm the king? Yeah, because of the Goliath thing and your courage and you're the best warrior. We know the story. Like you're a military man. You were self-disciplined. You did the right thing. God took out Saul and you became king. And David would look at you and he would say, no, God made me king before all of that. I was a no-name shepherd when God made me king. I'm the king because God let me be king. And if David were here today, like I'm risking a lot. I've already spoken for God. I'm going to speak for David now, okay? If David were here today, you know what he would say to all of us rich Americans? He would say, you know why you're rich? You're you're not rich because you worked hard and you were at the right place at the right time and you're so smart and you were lucky to be born in America. Yeah, that's all part of it. You're rich because God lets you be rich. You're talented because God lets you be. 
the ability, the strength, all of those things, people want to be around you because of the personality God gave you. All of that he's placed in your hands. Wealth and honor come from God. So Sunday school answer time, right? You got a 99.9% chance of getting this one right. If wealth and honor comes from God, who does wealth and honor belong to? Yes. Nailed it. Wealth and honor come from God. See, the reason I think it's so compelling to ask the question, how do I honor Jesus with everything in my hands, is because everything in my hands originated with him. Everything I have comes from him, my skill, my talent, my wealth, my family, my reputation. All those things we work so hard to develop and protect, which we should, all of those things, at some point along the way, I think we recognize we're not the source. It didn't come from us. And so it makes perfect sense, I think, for us to ask, okay, how do I leverage it for your purpose? How do I leverage it for your kingdom instead of my own? That's what David did. He's not done yet. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. It just kind of sounds like he's saying the same thing over and over again. Here it is. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. This is so powerful. It's in God's hands. It's, it's, it's God's decision. Let's use the word discretion. It's at God's discretion as to who is given honor and wealth and strength and power and to what degree. Which means, if I can just kind of slide this in there, every time you get jealous of your neighbor, Every time that, that envy rises up inside of you because of your coworker or there's somebody who's a little bit better at you than business or they're a little bit smarter than you or they're a little bit better at you on the soccer field or the baseball diamond, every single time jealousy and envy shows up in your life, you think the problem is them, but it's not. Your problem is with God because he's the one who gave it to them. And so maybe you should stop sending daggers in their direction and have a conversation with him. Because all of that, again, if I'm reading scripture correctly, all of that comes from him. And he decides who gets it. And he decides who gets how much of it. And David, David recognizes he's the king. He's the top of the totem pole. And he looks around and he realizes, I'm not the king because I'm the bravest or the smartest. I'm not the king because I act right all the time because David didn't. I'm not even the king because I was born into the right family because he wasn't. I'm the king because God put me here. I'm the king because God allowed me to be, so why wouldn't I place everything I have and everything I am have in my hands under his authority? Why wouldn't I spend the rest of my life raising the money and organizing the building of a temple, not to honor me, but to honor him? And, and the people believed him. They followed him. And they built this magnificent temple that most of them never saw completed. And what if, just what if, what if that idea captured our hearts? 
And, and I'm not talking about building a building that none of us will ever grow up and see. Everybody relax today. I'm not launching a capital campaign. That's not what this is, okay? What if the idea of wealth and honor comes from him captured our hearts? What would that change? What would we do differently as you look at your greatness, as you look at your strength, as you look at your ability, as you look at your skill, as you look at your resources, your possessions, your connections, the influence you have? What if you recognize all of, that, all of that is actually from God and it's actually all for God? And it's not simply a responsibility, although I think we should feel some responsibility with this. It's not just about responsibility. It's, a, it's about a privilege. It's about an opportunity that we've been given to ask the question, how can I honor Jesus with all of this? Because after all, everything I have is created by you, for you, to honor you. Just, 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 just read scripture through that lens. I mean, over and over and over throughout scripture, Old Testament and New, there, there are stories of ordinary people in extraordinary circumstances, and God says, I want you to leverage what you have and who you are for my purposes. Um, remember the story of Esther? Ever read the story of Esther? You know what Esther had? What, what she really had in her hands? Beauty. It's all she had. I have no idea how smart she was. She wasn't connected. She had no power. She had no authority. She had beauty. And if you read this story, God uses her beauty to accomplish his purpose. Story of, of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a taste tester for a pagan king. I love the story of Nehemiah. He got to live in the palace, had a pretty good life. And God said to him one day, hey, Nehemiah, um, I don't have you in the palace. You can have a cushy life. I have you in the palace. I gave you that job because I want you to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall around my city. But God, I'm, I'm not a builder. I'm not an architect. I'm a taste tester. God's going, no, that's not why you have that job. It goes way beyond that. Like the whole book of Nehemiah. It's a story about a guy who had a relationship with a pagan king who leveraged that for God's purposes. He let God use what he had in his hands. That changes some things when you look at your job. How do you use your job for God's purposes? Um, Moses. Moses, God sent him back to Egypt. <laughs> and Moses said, I don't want to go back to Egypt. I was already there, and I did not like it. God says, I know, but that's why I want you to go back. You have a relationship. You have a connection with the people of, G uh, of Egypt. I know that's why I left. It didn't end well. And God says, yeah, I know, but the reason you had that relationship in the first place is because I have a plan. I, I, I didn't allow you to grow up in Pharaoh's household so you knew what it was like to live in luxury and get a great education. I allowed you to do that for my own sovereign purpose. Over and over and over, all throughout Scripture, there are stories of men and women who ended up in all kinds of places, from all kinds of backgrounds, from all kinds of ethnicities, from all kinds of talents, all kinds of stories, and they had all kinds of things in their hand. We don't like this including suffering. If, again, if I read scripture correctly, 
Suffering and difficulty and pain and sickness, even death, can be used by God for his purpose. So God asked them, hey, what you got in your hand? Would you make that available to me? Because if you do, I might just use it to change history. And listen, I'm just like you. I read the story of Moses. I read the story of Nehemiah. Not Esther so much, but I read those stories and I think, I'm not like them. I, I, I don't have that much. I think like you. I'm just little old me and little old Topeka with my little old bank account, my little old job, my little old family. What can I do? Or maybe we go the other direction. We say, wow, look at all this wealth, all this talent, all this stuff. Thanks for blessing me so much, God. You must really love me to give me all this stuff. And you know what? I think both of those reactions and responses are wrong. I don't think we belittle ourselves so much that we think, oh, well, I can't do anything. And we don't puff ourselves up so much that we think, hmm, must be for me. I think God's going, I didn't give you that stuff for you. I gave you that stuff for me. I gave you that stuff for my purpose. I want you to leverage what's in your hand for my kingdom, for my purposes, not your own. So that's the first reason I think this is so compelling. The second reason, maybe it's even more compelling than that one. I don't know. But I'd encourage you to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Someday, sometime down the road. Write this down and do come back to it later. But I want you to read the Gospels with an eye to this question. How did Jesus use his hands? Have you ever thought about this before? How did Jesus use his hands? And, and it, it almost makes me emotional just thinking about how he used his hands because the son of God, the son of God who will sit at the right hand of the father, the judge of the world, the perfect man, the one to whom all glory and praise and honor is due, the one to whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is in fact Lord of all. Everybody who believes will bow and confess. Everybody who doesn't believe will bow and confess one day. That Jesus came to this earth and what did he do with those powerful, resourceful hands? Those planet-creating hands. He, he touched sick people. He fed people. He he. He loved and touched people who were unworthy and unclean. He touched dead things and brought them back to life. And then one day, he took those planet-creating hands, those human being-forming hands, and surrendered them to Rome. And they tried him. And they judged him. And then one day, outside Jerusalem, they took those powerful, resourceful hands and they stretched them and they nailed them to a tree. And those powerful, world-creating hands died for you and for me. And three days later, that man came out of a grave. And you know how the disciples recognized him? His nail-scarred hands. And I have the audacity to say, hey, thanks for all this stuff. I'm going to use it for my purposes. What? 
I, I, don't, I don't know how it's all going to work, but the Bible says one day I have to give an account for everything that I've done. And my judge is Jesus, the one with the nail-scarred hands. And he's going to say, how'd you do? What did you do with all the stuff I put in your hands? Whose kingdom did you leverage it for? And I don't know about you, but I don't want to stand before Jesus and go, well, I was kind of busy. I was busy with my kingdom and I didn't have much time for yours. Because, see, I had this business that I, was, I, was, I had really big plans for. Or we had this lake house and the only time that we could really go was the weekends. Or my kids, they were just really involved in sports and that's all we really had time for. I mean, just imagine that moment. What are you going to want to say about what he put in your hands? And I just, I just think, again, I think we should feel the pressure, not pressure. I think we should feel the responsibility of that. But I think we should also see it as an opportunity. We, we should see it as an opportunity in this life to take what's temporary because everything in your hands is temporary and invest it in what's eternal because that opportunity eventually goes away. That eventually, eventually goes away and we have an opportunity not to simply invest in our individual little kingdoms. We have an opportunity to invest what God has placed in our hands into a world, into a community, into a kingdom that never goes away. And as long as I'm only investing in my little world, I will never impact that one. If all I'm doing is investing in my little kingdom, I will not make any difference in the kingdom that never ends. And, and this, this, like, you don't need a preacher to tell you this, but here's the tragedy of this, that, that the tragedy is people spending their life using the power and strength and wealth in their hands only on them. Do you know what happens at the end of that life? You do. You do. There's just a pile of stuff for their kids and grandkids to argue over. <laughs> and two generations later, nobody knows their name. Nobody recognizes, nobody cares about them. Do you know the names of your great, great, great grandparents? I don't. If I spend my life on me, at the end of me, I have nothing to show for it but me. And we have a unique, I think it's unique, a unique short opportunity to say to Jesus, here's what I think you've placed in my hands. I want to use it. I want to leverage it for your purposes, for your kingdom. I don't want to get to the end of my life and only have me to show for me. And I think here's what that means practically. I, I, mean, I think it means sitting down and deciding what's in my hands. What, what has he placed in my hands? Everything, all the talent, all the ability, all the resources, all the connections, all the relationships, the family, the, the, the degrees, all of that stuff. And God, help me to recognize how I can use it, not just 10% of it, 100% of it. How can I use all of it? All of my resources are available to you, for you, for your purposes in the world. So tune me, tune me into the opportunities. My eyes are open. My eyes are open. My heart's ready. Show me the opportunity. Show me the organization you want me to start. Show me the organization you want me to help. Show me the ministry you want me to be involved in. Show me where to apply what I have in my hands because they're available to you. My wealth and honor comes from you. So it's available to you. Come on, come on. Can you imagine what could happen 
just in Topeka? If just the people at Grace Point decided to do that? Like, I don't want us to, I don't want us to become so Grace Point-centric that we miss out on the big C church throughout Topeka. That's not what I'm saying. But what if just the people at Grace Point, from kids to adults, decided, here's what I got in my hands. I'm going to use it for his glory. Can you imagine? Just put us in, coach. <laughs> Just put us in. I believe it's from you, for you, to honor you. So show us where to apply what you place in our hands. And, and, and I can't tell you what will happen, but I can tell you what will keep us from doing that. Fear. That's fear. A lot of fear going around these days. And we're actually going to talk about that in a few weeks. But there's something in me, there's something in you that says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, if I use everything in my hands and make it available to God and his purposes, what if I don't have any left over for me? Isn't that where you go? It's where I go. So maybe I'm just talking to myself here. But I need to be reminded I have no control over whether or not I have enough for me. That's, a, that's an illusion. That I have control over whether or not there's enough for me. There isn't one person within the sound of my voice that has control over that because wealth and honor comes from God. He decides who gets it and how much. I'm not arguing for irresponsible living. I think I'm just arguing for correct theology. And, and, and to say to the one who does control that God, I believe everything in my hands was created by you. It comes from you. And I'm going to give you a little bit every now and then. I'm going to give you a little bit here, a little bit there. I, I think it's just a waste of an opportunity. Because even if God says, okay, have it your way, spend it all on you, use it all for you. You get to the end of your life and you have nothing to show for your life. You have nothing to show for it. So I think God has given us an opportunity. I think it's an opportunity of a lifetime. He's placed something or some things in your hands. And there's potential there. There's capacity to do great things in this world there. Perhaps to change the world, but it only happens when you make it available to him. You honor him with these, with your hands. And part of it is, I'd love to be a part of a church full of people who said, I'm so afraid of this, but I'm going to open my hands anyway. <laughs> it scares me to death, but everything in my hands is available to you, Lord. Because in the end, you make a difference in this world. It's a decision you'll never regret. And, and God's thumbprints will be all over your life. They'll be all over our city. They'll be all over the world. And the good news is, it's already like that. Because we're doing that. So maybe this, is just, maybe this is just a reminder. Hey, did you know everything in your hands was given to you for God's purposes? Maybe, maybe it's a challenge for some of us to stop looking at everything in our hands. and This is for me, and it's about me, and it's for me. But regardless, regardless what you have in your hands, the power, the ability, the strength, the resources, all of that, was given to you by a loving heavenly father who's just asking you to come to work with him. He's just asking you to be involved in his kingdom and his purposes in this world. So how do you honor Jesus 
with your eyes? How do you honor Jesus with your ears? How do you honor Jesus with your feet? And how do you honor Jesus with your hands? That is a great question. It's a great question to leave this place and to figure out. Let me pray. Actually, I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask you to do something. I want you to take your hands. I want you to put them in your lap. And I want you to look at your hands. Don't look at your neighbor's hands. I'm sorry if you didn't wash them before you came in. That's on you. I want you to look at your hands. I know it's a little weird. What do you have in your hands? Just make a list. The stuff, the abilities, the networks, the resources, what, whatever. What, what do you have in your hands? Father in heaven, would you help us? Because most of the time we can see, we can understand, we can make lists. We're good at making lists. Father, we want to do more than just see and understand. We we want to obey. We want to, to be open. We want to be trusting of what you have for us. And God, there, there are so many people sitting in this room right now and even watching online, the faces, the names, the, the stories that do just that. When things are good, when things are bad, and it's their stories, it's their faithfulness that gives me the, the courage, that gives me the ability to stand up here and say this because I've seen it, I've watched it. And God, for those of us who we... we we just need to figure out, okay, what is, what is he placed in my hand and what is he asking me to do? God, I pray that you would give us the courage to walk out of this place and to do that so that the emotion of this moment's gonna pass. We're gonna go back into regular life. But God, I pray that you would not allow the truth of this to pass, that you would help us to do what you've asked us to do. And in the end, this, is, this isn't about our little K kingdom. This, this isn't even really about the little C Grace Point Church. It's ultimately about your big K kingdom. It's ultimately about your big C church all over this world. It just starts right here and right now. So Father, would you give us wisdom? Would you give us understanding? Would you give us a vision for what it looks like to live our lives with open hands? And we'll give you the praise and the glory and the honor that is deserved because it all starts with you anyway. Thank you. Thank you for being such a generous, faithful, loving, sharing God. You never run out. You're never going to run out. So would you help us to live in that reality? And I ask it all in Jesus' name.